first psalm I want to look at today. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. I love passages like this. I love passages like this both for the beauty of the passage itself, but also the way it helps form my life. It's real easy for me to live in the present. It's real easy for me to think about the things like the peanut butter cookies right over there that I could be eating. It's easy for me to think about the foreseeable future. Both things that I'm excited about and looking forward to and things that I'm dreading. Things that worry or cause us uh, angst. And when I look in the past, it's sometimes one where I look and I see things that are wondrous and wonderful. But I also sometimes look in the past and can see things and remember things that hurt or that disturb me. I mean, let's be honest and open with each other. How many of you remember some events in your past that really were not fair, not right, and hurt you? Look, you're not alone. Okay? So in the midst of a life like that comes this passage from Psalm 105. Where the psalmist calls upon us to remember the wondrous works that the Lord has done. And then he doesn't say, remember it, Mark. He doesn't say, remember it, John. Or Dieter, or somebody out there. He says, remember it, O offspring of Abraham, children of Jacob. He's using a label... That itself invokes the past. So it's remember the wondrous works. Oh offspring of Abraham. Now I picked this psalm for this morning. To start out with. Before I knew what David was preaching on. But boy it fits absolute hand in glove. With the Matthew 1, 1 through 18. Where it spoke of Jesus. Not simply coming as Jesus, but coming as the offspring of Abraham. And the 14, 14, 14 generations. And, and, and it's, it's profound to realize that we can look upon our past and we should look upon our past, both the good and the bad and see the hand of God in it. There are times in my life that I would not wish on any of you. And heaven knows I'd never want to walk them again. I didn't want to walk them the first time. But as much as they hurt and as terrible as they were, I can see the hand of God molding me. Doesn't mean God wants you to be miserable so that you get better. But it means in the midst of this world, God can work through even the worst that you've done, or the worst that's been done to you, though you may be innocent. And God can work in ways to bring beautiful fruit from it. So we remember the works He has done. 
Those are miracles. The judgments that he's uttered. And there is a benefit to that. So take just a moment. And internally. Say thank you Lord. That I haven't lived my life in a vacuum. But that your hand has been there. And even when Satan has had his way with me. Your hand has been there to play the ultimate trump cards so that when all is said and done, I've come to this place today to worship you and to serve you. And that's an amazing thing. Okay, now your copy's coming next. The choir's coming in from singing in the Espanol service. Some wandered, we're going to Psalm 107 verses 4 through 9. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. There are times in all of our lives that are desert times. There are times where we feel dry. Parched. Where we feel like there's no life. There's no nourishment. There are times we feel that way physically. Where we're just, our body just seems worn out. There are times we seem that way emotionally. Where emotionally we just seem drained. We've got nothing left to give. The slightest emotional event can send us just tottering down the abyss. There are times we feel that way spiritually. Where we almost feel spiritually dead to the Lord. Where we wonder, where, where is God? Why something that seemed so vibrant and real to me before seems so cold and distant right now? And when we go through these desert experiences... Psalm 107 verses 4 through 9 comes trumpeting down to us to give us the faith response that what we're to do is to cry out to the Lord in our trouble when our soul is fainted within us, when we're thirsty, when we're hungry, When we can't seem to find satisfaction in anything. Our soul is to cry out. Our voice is to cry out to the Lord. Never is that more important than when we're feeling spiritually dry and arid. When you feel like God's not there. When you feel like your prayers aren't answered. When you feel like you're all alone. More than any other time. Cry out to the Lord. 
Let him know your distress. Let him know your trouble. You're thinking, doesn't he know it already? Oh, yes, he does. And he's waiting for you to cry out to him. Because the promise is, he'll deliver you from your distress. Becky really wanted to see this movie, this Harry Potter type movie that's out right now. So I took her the other night. She didn't really want to see it. And um, and so we went to see this Harry Potter movie. And they've got these little sticks called wands. And they're able to say like, hocus pocus, smokus, provocus or whatever. And, and everything changes. Okay, this is not a Harry Potter promise. Look what the psalmist says. God will deliver us from our distress. How? He will lead us by a straight way till we reach a city to dwell in. And that means he's going to take us straight through the desert as quickly as we can go. But we still got to get through the desert. See, he doesn't say he will snap his fingers and your desert will be a city. He says, I'm going to lead you by a straight way. What's the quickest distance between two points or the shortest distance? A straight line. I'll lead you a straight line. I'll get you there as quickly as is possible. But we still have the experience. So he'll lead us by a straight way out of the desert into the city where life is thriving. And we will thank him for his steadfast love. That is steadfast love because, chesed in the Greek, I mean Hebrew, because it's not only a love while we're in the desert, it's a love every step along the way. And he brings us into the city. He's got wondrous works. He wants to satisfy our longing. He wants to feed our hungry souls with not just broccoli, but good things. And that's the God we worship. But we still do have to eat the broccoli on occasion. And that's part of the desert. So I really, really like this. Okay, your copy's coming now. Do we have the folks who can hand these out? Um, um, we've got a process that Brent has set up and Castell's in charge of. Okay, bring, bring the books. And uh, as we're getting one. Now remember, don't like grab 12 of them and say I've finished my Christmas shopping. This is a copy for you if you're in here. Now, someone said to me last night, well, what about if it's me and my wife in there? Well, then you and your wife get one. Not as in, you get one apiece. You don't have to share with your spouse. We've got enough for everyone in here to get one. And so take one, make it your own, make notes in it as you read through it for the year. Um, thank you, I'll take one. So it's... Uh, thanks again to Baylor for, for, for publishing this. They just did a tremendous job. They wrote really nice things on the covers, the lapel. I don't want you to feel like I wrote that because if so, you'd think I was pretty arrogant. Um, I may be arrogant, but I didn't write this. Okay, that's not your evidence for it. I'm trying to get over it. Um, but they wrote some really nice things. I tried to, to I, I sent the book out for some uh, comments so that there'd be some people on the back. And uh, uh, you will know some of these people because they come to our class. So one of the thanks is from uh, our, our uh, nice comment is from Paige Patterson. And so if you know Paige Patterson, thank him for his nice comment. 
Page is president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Peter Williams from Tyndall House wrote a really nice compliment uh, to the book. And so if you see Peter, uh, be sure and thank him, those of you who know him. John Michael Talbot, uh, uh, he wrote some nice comments about the book, and he didn't even see the devotional that I mentioned him in. So that was pretty good. Todd Still, who runs uh, uh, the Truett Seminary at Baylor. Nice comments. James Hoffmeyer, you all know him. And then, uh, so I called Gerald Turner up. Dr. Turner is the president at SMU. And and I called him up and I said, uh, Dr. Turner, he said, yes. I said, I'm calling in the favor you owe me. And he said, I thought you owed me a favor. And I said, no, 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 I you owe me one. And he said, no, Lanier, that's not the way I remember it. The way I remember it, you owe me a favor. I said, no, no, I'm pretty sure it's the other way around. He said, well, I'm not, but what's your favor? And I said, would you read a few pages of the book and see if it's worth writing? So we even have like a Methodist endorsement here, which is pretty good because the president of SMU actually is a Church of Christ boy. (laughs) I don't know how that worked out. Okay, are you getting your books? We good? We ready to keep going? All right, next psalm. This is still part of that same psalm. Let's go back. The desert psalm, that Psalm 107 describes different places along the journey. And so it's got the desert phrase here in Psalm 107, 4 through 9. And then after the desert phrase comes the darkness phrase, verses 10 through 16. Look at this. Some, so some wandered in the desert, remember? Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God. They'd spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down, no one to help them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze, and he cuts into the bars of iron. Look at what the psalmist has got here. Here the psalmist talks about some people who are in distress in darkness, in the shadow of death, and it's a prison of their own making. It is something that's come about through their own sin. If you've ever been caught up in the vortex of sin, you understand this image. Paul writes in Romans 8, that there's the, the, the New Testament version of this psalm. I'll get to it in a minute. Keep it on the side. And keep focused on the Old Testament. There is sin in our lives that we get caught into. And that sin imprisons us. It is, it's got manacles. It's got iron. And it clamps onto us. And it's the ball and chain we can't get rid of. And it holds us down, it drags us down, it makes us feel dark, it makes us feel dead. We understand the affliction. 
that comes when we rebel against God. Because that is what sin is. In its core form, sin is nothing more and nothing less than rebellion against Almighty God. And God has set up a system. And God will see to that system. And that system says you will reap what you sow. And when you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap the destruction that comes. You cannot get caught up in sin without it having a negative effect on you. That's why God doesn't want us to sin. It's not healthy. It's not good for us. We don't need to live in rebellion to God. And when we do and we suffer the consequences, the psalmist says... The solution is not to say, well, so it goes. I'm a horrible sinner and I'll just sin my way through this life because I got no other choice in the matter. Oh no, you do. There is a very simple choice for all of us in our sin. It's you cry out to God in, in confession and repentance. We say, Lord, deliver us. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. And God will do that. He brings us out of the darkness. He brings us out of the shadow of death. He breaks the bonds. There's not, hear me, there is nothing so strong that God cannot break it. There is nothing that can hold you so tight that God cannot pry it from you. There is no darkness that is so dark that His light won't penetrate it. Paul says it in Romans. He says in Romans 1, 8 and 2, There is, therefore, now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. J.B. Phillips translates that from the vicious cycle of sin. There is a viciousness to sin. But the Lord Jesus has broken those bonds. So if you don't know the song by the Imperials. First of all, it means that you might be under the age of 60. (laughs) I'm joking. My nephew, Will Roberts. No, it's the Gaither family he's into. The Imperials. Have a song. Do you know it? Praise the Lord. He says, uh, uh, the, the, the song's got a line. Um, well, it starts, when you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fear, 
Don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise him. Praise the Lord. For our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind us. Fall powerless behind us when we praise him. And then that second verse. Now Satan is a liar. And he wants to make us think that we're paupers. When he knows himself we're children of the king. So lift up the mighty shield of faith. For the battle must be won. You know that Jesus Christ is risen. So the work's already done. Praise the Lord. This is a powerful, powerful passage. And it fits well with this psalm. So point for home with this psalm. If you are ensnared in sin right now. And you feel powerless. You are. He isn't. Call on his name. And shatter the darkness. Alright. Psalm 108. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Have you noticed each of the last three passages talk about God's steadfast love? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord is spoken of in the Psalms over and over and over. It's this Hebrew word, kesed. It means a covenant loyalty, a faithfulness, a steadfast love. It's God's commitment to you. When you signed on with the Lord, you may not have understood what it means to really be committed to Him. But He did. And He takes that seriously. And He's got you. You gave yourself to Him in whatever feeble way you could. Listen. Listen to me. All of us may try to lift our hand up so God can lift us up. But I don't care how good you are and how high you are in lifting your hand. He still has to reach down all the way. But that's his promise. And so this steadfast love of God is something that grabs us and holds on to us and leads us through the deserts and leads us through the the chains of sin. And as a result, we have mornings. Where our heart is just alive to God. And we can say, Lord, bless your name. I want to wake up everybody. Teenagers don't understand I will awake the dawn. (laughs) If it's a Saturday especially. Blake told me that last Saturday he got up at the crack of 11 Not really. 
I mean, we, we, but, but that's this part, just early in the morning. I want to, I want to beat the sun up and wake up the sun. That's what the song said. I'm going to wake up the dawn. I'm going to be up before the sun does, singing and giving thanks to the Lord and praising Him because of what He's done. I want to tell you, I, I, I told you earlier, I've had those dark places in life. I've had those deserts. I've had the chains of sin, but I've also felt and experienced and tasted the sweet, glorious release of our Lord and his rescue. And I can tell you firsthand, he is faithful to his promise. And he will take anybody from anywhere and lead them to a place of victory. That's the promise we've got. And when we are there, we need to praise God. We need to give credit to God. We need to sing praises to Him. We need to do it among the nations. We need to let everybody know the reason I live, the reason I stand, the reason I smile is because the Lord Jesus. The reason that, that I can move with confidence without fear of results, is the Lord Jesus. The reason I can say tomorrow's going to be okay, even if the sky breaks open and the heavens come crashing down, is because of the Lord Jesus. God's steadfast love has never ceased. And unlike the psalmist, we live on the post-crucifixion side of history. So unlike the psalmist who's looking forward in faith that God will do something that meets both his love and his justice, his mercy and his law, we live on the side where he's done it and has instilled within his children his Holy Spirit to help us be convicted and understand what he has done. We've got every reason. To shout about and sing about the steadfast love of the Lord. Because God's faithfulness reaches to the clouds. And that means it's all above us, all around us, everywhere. What an awesome God we serve. Take a moment. And just internally express to God. Thank you, Lord. I praise your name. For your steadfast love. Psalm 110, verse 1. Yahweh. And remember, when we read the Psalms, or anywhere in the Bible, and you read Lord in a, all capitals. Usually it's a higher font to a lower font. All capitals. That's the way our English translators are telling us that it's the Hebrew word. We typically pronounce Yahweh. But it's that Hebrew word that is the name that God assigned to himself when he was talking to Moses. There is a general word for Lord, like you would say to a king or to a Lord or something like that. And, 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 and when that Hebrew word is used, Adonai, when that Hebrew word is used, it's just written with, uh, uh, if it's talking about God, a capital L and a lowercase O-R-D. So here in the very first phrase, the Lord says to my Lord, those are two different Hebrew words. That means, if we're going to talk about it this way, Yahweh 
says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now this is a Davidic psalm, which means David's behind this psalm. So here you've got David saying that Yahweh said to David's Lord, King David's Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. That's pretty profound. David is maybe the most famous of all the Hebrews. Today, the Israeli flag has on it a star. What kind of star? Star of David. The main, big, super great hotel for the last century in Jerusalem is called the King David Hotel. David was the pinnacle of kings. And David was, was, was the hero. And so it's interesting to see this psalm was grabbed by the early church and used as a messianic psalm, meaning that the early church understood, and rightfully so, this psalm spoke of Jesus. In part, the early church understood this because Jesus himself used this psalm when the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus with the law. I mean, here's Jesus, this carpenter, and you've got these well-trained PhDs going after Jesus. Ah, we take care of this carpenter, son, and Jesus leaves them befuddled with this psalm. So let's look at Matthew 22, 43 through 45 for a moment, because that's one of the the write-ups of Jesus using this psalm. So, here we go. We'll start with verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, well, he's the son of David. So Jesus says, How is it then that David, in the spirit, inspired by God, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Now, hold on for just a second, because we don't live very sensitive to the rules of kingship. But when you have a king, the son of the king is called a prince. The son of the king does not rule over the king. The king rules over the prince. The Pharisees were thinking that the Messiah would be someone less than David. As a son of David. And Jesus is saying the Messiah. Is not less than David. He's greater than David. Greater than the greatest earthly king. Israel has ever or will ever know. If David calls him Lord. 
How is he David's son? And at that point in time, the Pharisees decided to quit debating the law with Jesus. <laughs> I kind of like that. I mean, that just speaks to the lawyer in me. It's kind of like, I'm done with this one. Okay. Um, Acts 2. Peter in his Pentecostal sermon, when he's setting up the church or, or declaring the church. Peter in his Pentecostal sermon, make sure I've got the right verse, 234. Peter says, brothers, I'm starting in verse 29. I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. He died. He was buried. And you can go look at his tomb. Being therefore a prophet and knowing God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That Christ was not abandoned to Hades. That his flesh did not see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all, we all are witnesses. We've seen it. I don't think Peter's talking merely about himself and the apostles there. There are people in the audience who saw the resurrected Jesus and were trying to make sense of it. Paul talks about hundreds who had seen the resurrected Jesus. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. David did not ascend into the heavens. But David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is descended from David, but he is no mere son of David. Jesus is the king of kings, not the prince of kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords, not the son of a Lord. Jesus has an intimacy with God the Father that can only be expressed as equals. Which was mind shattering to those people who had killed Jesus. I mean, can you imagine being convicted? Look, here's This is what they were being told. They were being told, look, you guys are responsible for killing the Son of God. Now that ranks up pretty high on the old sin list. I don't want to steal. I don't want to cheat. I don't want to commit adultery. And I don't want to murder. And if I do murder, I definitely don't want it to be the Son of God. I'd rather it be like somebody who's trying to, I don't know, some bad dude. Adolf Hitler. You know, don't, don't, don't murder the Son of God. And they're being told not only you killed the Son of God, they're being told, and he's back. I mean, I'm sitting out there. I don't know this whole gospel story that the, we learned at Champion Forest Baptist Church 2,000 years later. I'm in that audience. I'm going, okay, this cannot be a good thing. <laughs> Which explains why the response to Peter in verse 37 is, 
Okay, what, what can we do now? What should we do? And Peter says to repent. <laughs> to be baptized, put your faith in Jesus. And He would forgive your sins. It's kind of like, really? Where is the line? I'm getting in. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in Him, in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work and His righteousness endures forever. I have a picture with this of two sisters holding hands. Too many people think that faith exists on one dimension of life and science exists on another. And there the two shall meet. That's bogus. And that's not biblical. The Bible teaches us that science, the wonders of our world, are expressions of the character and nature of God. He made them. God did not make a Harry Potter world. God made a world of cause and effect. God made a world that has some semblance of order, even where there may be chaos. God has made a world where we can put someone on the moon. I got to tell you, one of the thrills of the case that I just finished trying, and I can't thank you all enough for all of your prayers. And uh, those of you who found out that we, we won a really big verdict, the jury was very kind to us. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. And those of you who came to me for a loan, I got to tell you, we don't really get a cut of that the way it looks. Okay, so this is not, gee, Mark's now moving to Paris. No, <laughs> we're still working hard every day. But, but. One of the witnesses I got to put on in that case was a fellow named Dr. Bernard Morey. Dr. Morey is one of the best orthopedic surgeons the world's ever had. He put in President Bush's hips. Uh, I think it was Billy Graham's surgeon. Just countless people. And this is one of these guys who's so smart, it's almost scary. So I'm putting on this top-notch orthopedic surgeon. And I'm going through his CV and his, his, his curriculum vitae, his resume, if you will. His professional life. And I'm saying, okay, let the jury know you were head of the Mayo Clinic's uh, orthopedic design team. You're on the trustees, head of the trustees of the Mayo Clinic. You've done all of these things. Just top-notch doctor, president of the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons, Hip Society, Knee Society, the editor of all of the journals. I mean, everything. And oh, by the way. Before you went to medical school, you wrote all of the protocols for NASA as a scientist, rocket mathematician, so that Apollo 13 that did the, missed the, had the problem could do the moonshot, come back and land safely. You're the guy who wrote those things. Just absolutely scary smart. But I, I talked to Dr. Morey a lot. And Dr. Morey told me that it was easy to write those protocols because it's all math. 
He says the moon's going to be where the moon's going to be. Gravity is what gravity is. It's reliable. You don't have to worry it's going to change tomorrow. You don't have to worry tomorrow if I drop this, it might float instead of drop. It's going to drop. That's gravity. That's the world God's made. And science is holding the hand of God. Paul says science reveals the nature of God. I want to tell you, God's consistent. God's not going to decide tomorrow blondes don't go to heaven. I mean, the rules aren't going to change. Look, I told my kids when they were little, two plus two is four. And you can study that and you can learn that. And tomorrow on the test, you can put four as an answer. You don't need to be afraid that it changes tonight. Two plus two will still be four tomorrow. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He's not going to change his mind tomorrow and decide, oh man, us humans, I was real into it, but yeah, it's just getting old. He doesn't need to take a breather from you and me. He is as constant as, you know, the sun rises in the east and it sets in the west. 365 days a year, unless it's leap year, and then it's 366. So we can study the works of the Lord and take delight in them because they show the splendor and majesty of our God. What God is like our God? It's amazing to me. By the way, when I realized they were going to publish this and I wasn't just writing something for my kids for next year, I emailed them and I said, uh, can I add one more verse or one more page? They said, well, we're kind of like getting ready to go to press. And I said, yeah, but I've written this for next year and some people might use it more than one year. So I'd like to put in something for February 29th because every four years we get one of those. And they said, okay. We'll try to do that. Can you email it to us, you know, the next day or two? I said, I'll email it to you in 30 minutes. And I did not check until just now to see if it made it in there. And it did. So let's go to the Elmo for one last little look. This is leap year day. (laughs) Psalm 1829. For by you I can run against the troop and by my God I can leap. Over a wall. (laughs) See, you got to read this book carefully. I have little jokes in here, especially for my kids. I can leap over a wall. February 29th, leap day and leap year. A great year and a great day to remember by God's help. We can leap over a wall. We can run against a troop. There is nothing that can stand in our way. If God the Lord is on your side, nothing will stop you. From doing his will. And that's all you want to do anyway. And so it's a marvelous, marvelous thing. I'm so thankful because the works of his hands are faithful and just. And it can hurt at times when he's having to chisel away that extra wood to get to the, the bird or the, 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 the sculpture that you are. And he's got to take away some of the hard edges and some of the hard corners. 
And sometimes that's not an easy process. Sometimes it's not a quick process. And a few of us are just not headed enough that he's got to work through that knot to get there. And that takes extra work if you've worked with wood. Right, Larry? So not heads like me. But the work of his hands are faithful and just. So you entrust yourself to the Lord and you watch what he does with your life. And it's my prayer, and I'll charge you with this in conclusion. Lord, as these folks have this book, I thank you for the chance to write it. I thank you for Baylor who published it. I thank you for the many events in my life that you brought me through, painful and good, that allowed me to read through your word and find solace and find direction and find help and find aid and find comfort and find um, wisdom and, and find those things, Father, that I've tried to share in here. And it's my prayer that through the pages of this book, you will bless your children and bless your church and even bring some into fellowship with you who don't know you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here for their outstanding love, for their gracious giving to Guatemala Sana. Bless every penny of that money, Father, to your glory as we minister the love of Christ to others who are less fortunate. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.